0: Well, we're going to turn to our Bibles now, and we're going to turn to the Old Testament book of Exodus. Uh, we're reading this morning from Exodus chapter 13, verses 17 to 22. Uh, you'll find it on pages 55 and 56 of the Pew Bibles, pages 55 and 56. Exodus thirteen seventeen to 22 is something of a summary section In the book of Exodus, it summarizes for us what has happened in the story so far. And we're going to be thinking about these verses later in our service. So Exodus 13, reading from verse 17 down to verse 22. And as we read, we remember that this is God's word to us. It says, When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt, equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. And they moved on from Succoth, and encamped camped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. Amen. And we thank God for his word to us this morning. Well, let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Exodus again. Uh, You'll find Exodus 13 on pages uh, 55 and 56 of the Pew Bibles. And as you're turning that passage up, let's pray for a moment together. Father, as we approach your word this morning, it's our earnest prayer that you would make your word live to us that it would come alive for us and that we would know and understand what it means and that we would live in light of it father we thank you for giving us your word we thank you that it contains all that we need for life in this world and we pray that you would encourage us and give us hope and also challenge those who don't know the lord jesus and we pray these things in his name amen what makes a good movie or a good television series? If you were to set up a production company, what, what kind of things would you be looking for in a potential TV drama or, or potential film? If you were writing a review of a, of a new programme, what, what would you be watching for? It's generally accepted that you need three basic elements to make a brilliant film or TV drama. They all begin with C, First of all, you need a concept. A concept is that thing that makes an audience watch your production. So Let me give you a couple of examples. The tagline for the film Grease reads like this. Grease is the one that you want. Go back to high school with Pink Lady, Sandy, Olivia Newton-John, Leader of the Bad Boy, T-Birds, Danny, John Travolta, and a rockin' and a rollin' all-star cast. So that's the concept. You're going back to high school and you're going to have the time of your life. Here's another example. This is the tagline for No Time to Die, the most recent James Bond film. A mission to rescue a kidnapped scientist turns out to be far more treacherous than expected, leading Bond, Daniel Craig, onto the trail of a mysterious villain armed with dangerous new technology. So that's the concept. Bond is on a rescue mission, and he's pitted against an evil villain. C- concept is the first thing that you need. The, the, the second thing that you need is character. Compelling characters make the concept better because when we watch a film or a programme, we have individuals to follow. We're drawn in by Greece because of the characters involved. But what really makes a compelling character? Well, that's the third C, conflict. When it comes to story and characterization, conflict is everything. Without conflict, there's no journey or story for the character to go on. Conflict is, is James Bond battling with villains before taking on the real bad guy. So that's what makes a good TV drama or, or a good film. Concept, character and conflict. The, the, the thing is, the, the, these three elements have been identified in the book of Exodus over the years. So much so that film directors and screenwriters have picked up the story and used it. In 1956, The Ten Commandments, produced, directed and narrated by Cecil B. DeMille was released. It became one of the most financially successful films of all time and won lots of awards. In 1998, The Prince of Egypt was released. It's an animated musical drama that follows the life of Moses and it's a film that many of us grew up watching. In 2014, Exodus Gods and Kings, a film directed by Ridley Scott was released. It was based on the story of Exodus but one reviewer said that the film doesn't quite live up to its classical source material. All film adaptations of the story of Exodus fall short though simply because this story is more than just a great story. It's part of the scriptures and the Bible itself tells us that the scriptures are more than just a good script for the next potential blockbuster. The Bible says of itself Whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. The, the, the ultimate point of, of any story contained in the Bible, including the story of Exodus, is so that we Christian believers in Buckna in 2023 might have hope. And as we approach Exodus 13 this morning, th- that, that's what we're going to receive, hope. Hope because of who God is, hope because, what, because of what God has done, and hope of because of how God is with us. We've been back in Exodus over the past few weeks. The people of Israel have been delivered by the Lord and have been released from the bondage of captivity in Egypt. The, the, the part of the story that we're looking at this morning acts as a summary of what has happened so far. It's kind of like an interlude. The action slows down, we get to catch our breath, and we can take in what has happened. But this section also gives us God's perspective on what has happened. God is the focus of these verses, just as he, as he is throughout the, the, the whole book of Exodus. In our passage this morning, we're, we're going to see three things about God. We're going to see that God expertly guides his people. God graciously keeps his promises. And God kindly offers his presence. And as we work our way through these points... We're going to receive hope, hope because of who God is, hope because of what God has done, and hope because of how God is with us. Let's think about that first point together. God expertly guides his people. Look at verses 17 and 18. It says, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt, equipped for battle. God's people were finally, finally starting down the road to freedom. They were bound for the promised land. And what you would have expected them to do is head north. The route they should have, could have taken was the Via Marie, the the way of the sea. It was a coastal highway, and it was the most obvious escape route for them. One ancient Egyptian papyrus describes how two runaway slaves were caught trying to escape up this route. It was the most direct route to get out of Egypt. If the Israelites had gone this way, they would have arrived in Canaan in less than two weeks, rather than the 40 years it eventually took them. That would have been the shortest way, but it wasn't the best way because it wasn't God's way. God knew that if the Israelites stayed near the sea, they would face fierce fierce resistance. And northern Sinai was a militarized zone in those days. The Egyptian army maintained a strong military presence in the region and had fortresses and, and had a long, wide and deep canal. And there were also the Philistines to consider, another enemy. And then even if the Israelites somehow managed to fight their way through past the Philistines, they would still have to face the Canaanites when they reached the promised land. God knew that the Israelites were in no shape to fight. They, they weren't prepared to face such strong opposition. They had just spent 430 years in Egypt, in captivity, under oppression. They were taking baby steps in terms of what it meant to become a nation. In verse 18, the ESV the says that the people were equipped for battle, but it's not a brilliant translation. Israel wasn't equipped for battle. How could they be? But back in th- 37 to 39 we, we read about their flight. And basically the picture is that they're scrambling around, getting their things together to leave Egypt. Now, a better way of reading verse 18 is that it means that they stayed in formation. They were fully equipped in, in terms of the supplies they needed to survive somehow. But militarily, th- they would have been wiped out in the first battle they entered. In fact, they would have turned back and gone to Pharaoh at the first sign of danger. That's confirmed by what we read, read of happening the following year when they reach the land of Canaan. As soon as they see how strong their enemies are, they're completely demoralized. Numbers 14 verse 4 says, Let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. That's what the people say when they see their enemies before them. Now, knowing all this, God changed their course. And led the Israelites in the opposite direction. He took them south, away from Canaan, in a, into the wilderness. It wasn't the most obvious way. It wasn't the shortest way. It wasn't the most direct way, but it was the best way because it was God's way. God knew what His people could handle, and He knew what they needed to take. And He knew that they needed to take the long way home. As the Israelites travelled that long and winding road we read of them doubting whether God's way was really the best way. But God knew what he was doing, as he always does. Now, there's application for us here as individuals. Well, whatever's going on in your life at the moment, whatever God happens to be doing right now, do you think or believe that it's for the best? It might not look like it. It might not seem that way, but it is. The Bible says that, for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are, who are called according to his purpose. E- even when we're tempted to doubt whether God knows what he's doing, we're called to believe that his way is best. There's also application for us as a church family. Humanly speaking, back in September, it didn't seem like a very sensible idea to enter into an expensive building project. But here we are almost five months into work on site. And what have we seen? Great progress on site, great support financially. It wasn't the most obvious way. It wasn't the shortest way. It wasn't the most direct way, but it was the best way because it was God's way. The reassuring truth this section teaches us is that God expertly guides his people. He guides us as individuals. He guides us as a church family, as his representatives here on earth. And his guidance is expert guidance. He knows what he's doing all the time. His guidance is never flawed. His counsel is never deficient. God expertly guides his people. The the second thing we see in this passage is that God graciously keeps his promises. God expertly guides his people and God graciously keeps his promises. The Israelites didn't leave Egypt empty handed. They might not have been prepared militarily, but God gave them the spoils of victory. They they had fancy clothes and shiny jewels, but they had something else. Look look at verses 19 and 20. It says, Moses took the bones of Joseph Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. And they moved on from Succoth and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. Now it might seem a bit strange to carry around the remains of the dead. In this case, the Israelites were carrying around a mummy that had been embalmed by their Egyptian masters. But this was something that the Israelites had promised to do centuries earlier. Listen to what Joseph said on his deathbed and what he made the people of Israel do. This is Genesis 50, 24 to 26. It says, and Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Joseph believed that God was faithful. He believed that God always kept his promises. The New Testament tells us that by faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. He had also been told that his descendants would become slaves in Egypt, but but he also knew this because God had promised it to Abraham by covenant. When God finally brought Israel out of Egypt, Joseph wanted to go along for the ride, so he made his brothers swear that they would bury his bones in the promised land the israelites kept their promise carrying joseph bones all the way through the wilderness until finally they were laid to rest in the family burial plot at shechem that doesn't happen until joshua 24:32. what joseph's burial proved though was that joseph trusted in the right god the god who kept his promise to rescue israel A- anyone who needs any kind of help should trust in the god of abraham joseph and moses because he is always faithful to help his people god graciously keeps his promises again individually we're we're reassured that god keeps his promises all of his promises to us are yes and amen through jesus you could pick any of his promises this morning and be be reassured that they are true for you if you have trusted in jesus but there's more than that in, in these verses. The, the, the theological weight of these verses is that this is showing us, what, showing us what God is like. God has chosen the Israelites to be his people. He has formed them. He has made them. And he's also created a family. He, he is the God who is going to father his family as he leads them through the wilderness. He will guide and protect them. They are his firstborn son, and he has brought them out of Egypt. The, the, the astonishing thing about this is that this language, this language of, of, of a people, of a family, of a treasured possession, is picked up by the writers of the New Testament and used of the church. We heard that at the start of our service. As the church of the Lord Jesus Christ in Buchna, God has promised to lead us in the way that a father leads his family. We are his outpost in this area and he will not leave us by ourselves. And his promises of blessing apply to our church family. The gates of hell will not prevail against our church. If we are faithful unto death as a church, he will give us the crown of life. God graciously keeps his promises. We talked a moment ago about compelling characters. The the, the God of the Bible, the God of Abraham, Joseph and Moses it is the most compelling person you will ever come across or meet. J- Jesus is the most important man who ever lived. C- can you say this morning that his promises apply to you because you have trusted in him? God expertly guides his people. God graciously keeps his promises. And thirdly, God kindly offers his presence. God kindly offers his presence. Not only does God know which way is best, not only does he keep all of the promises that he has made, he also goes along to make sure that his people get to where he has planned them to go. The the way God led his people out of Egypt was miraculous. Look at verses 21 and 22. It says, And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light. That they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day, and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. So some people make it their business to try and come up with an alternate explanation for some of the biblical miracles. But, but it's hard to imagine what natural phenomenon could possibly explain God's fiery pillar of cloud. Was it a cloud of dust kicked up by the Israelites? Was it a whirlwind? Was it a smoke signal? Was it bad weather? Was it a volcano? The, those are some of the suggestions that have been put forward. Well, one person has actually blamed cloud formation in the Sinai area. The, the, the trouble with any human explanation is that the pillar travelled ahead of the Israelites and stayed with them by day and by night for 40 years. The only sensible way for, to, to account for this is to accept the fiery, cloudy pillar as a, as a genuine, divine miracle. By day, it was a bright column of, uh, of protecting cloud, but, but by night, its radiance appeared like fire. The, the, the amazing cloud served as Israel's guidance system. It was their sat-nav. It was their maps. It went before them to lead them along the way. Wherever it moved, the people moved as well. What the cloud represents represents is the very presence of God who was in the cloud and fire to light the way. The pillar was a a visible manifestation of his personal presence. Theologians call this a theophany, a God appearance. When God shows up in this way, he, he appears in a fiery cloud of glory, sometimes called the Shekinah. It's an outward display of God's inward glory. I'm sure many of us wish that God would give us the same kind of guidance today. If only a bright, cl- cl- a bright cloud would, would lead us directly to the university we should go to, to the job we should apply for, to the person we should marry. Yet the Bible tells us that God gives us all the divine guidance we need, and it's in a much better form. We're going to cover this tonight. But 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. In other words, we have everything we need to live for the Lord now. God has given us the fire of his spirit. And if we have believed in Jesus, we have his glorious presence with us all day and all night. Through the gospel, it's as if the column of cloud and the pillar of fire have come right inside us. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit dwells with you and will be with you. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of glory and of God, and he rests upon you. And part of the Spirit's glorious work is to give us direction for life. Jesus promised that the Spirit would guide us into all truth. That primarily comes as we read the Bible. The Holy Spirit works through the word. We don't need visible signs like pillars of cloud and fire, We don't need to put literal fleeces out to know God's will. We have our Bibles, and we have God's presence with us always. This part of the Bible tells us that God expertly guides his people. Sometimes his way isn't the most obvious way. Sometimes it isn't the shortest way. Sometimes it isn't the most direct way. But his way is always the best way. He knows what his people, you and I, can handle. It tells us that God graciously keeps his promises. God is the God who fathers his family as he, as he leads us through the wilderness of this world. He will guide us and he will protect us. And God kindly offers his presence. We don't need to wish for vi- visible signs of God's presence. If we have believed in Jesus, the Holy Spirit dwells with us and will be with us. And part of his work is to give us direction for life. Concept, character, and conflict. That's what you need to write a good script. That's what you need if you want to make it as a, as a film director or a TV producer. And it's what we have in Exodus. The concept is that God guides, helps, and is personally with, with his people. Lots of people search for God in all sorts of things. As human beings, we were, we were made to worship our creator, but we turn to created things and worship them instead. But here in Exodus, God reveals himself. The, the, the mind-blowing concept of Exodus and of the entire Bible is that the God who formed us and made us wants to know us personally. We read about his character too, his perfect, flawless, holy character. As the divine spiritual satnav, he expertly guides his people. As our bountiful and generous father, he graciously keeps his promises And as our ever watchful protector, he he kindly offers his presence. Concept, character, conflict. The creator became a creature. The one who formed us from the dust of the ground, took on our dustiness and became one of us. And throughout his life, he experienced conflict. Conflict with his earthly family who thought he was out of his mind. Conflict with the religious goody, two shoes of the day. Conflict with the evil one who tempted him. Conflict that, it, that, that came to its ultimate climax as he was nailed to a cross. The Lamb of God nailed to a tree. If you were to write this story and it had never been written before, if you were to come up with this concept, this character and conflict like this, you would be the best in the business. The thing is though, all the stories that we watch and all the stories that we read and all the stories that we listen to, all the stories of redemption have their roots in the greatest story. You know that verse in Ecclesiastes where it says that God has put eternity into man's heart? Well, there's a sense that God has done that by giving us a yearning for redemption. Why why do we love films or TV dramas that that have happy endings? Why, Why do we love it when the hero wins and the bad guy loses? because that is the story of redemption. That is the story of the Bible, and it is in us, it is part of us, in our hearts, whether we know it or not. All of the stories of redemption that we'll ever come across have their roots in the greatest story, the gospel. The gospel being that we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe, yet in the very, at the very same time, we're more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. The gospel being that God expertly guides his people, graciously keeps his promises, and kindly offers his presence. The gospel that is offered to you today, if you don't know Jesus, the gospel that calls you, compels you to come to Christ, will you take your part in this story? That this is more than just a made up make believe drama. That this is real life. And you can be part of it, part of God's grand plan of redemption. How? By trusting in his son, Jesus, the, the, the central character of history. By trusting in the one who has experienced conflict on the cross, also that you might know guidance, help, and the presence of God himself. That's why these verses provide us with hope, because they offer Jesus to us. So will you come to him today? Will you turn to him in faith for the first time? Let's pray together. Father, how we thank you that you expertly guide us, your people, We thank you for guiding us through the difficulties that we face in this world. We thank you that we can rely on you and and trust in you and know that you keep your promises. Everything that you have promised to us in your word is true because of Jesus. And we thank you that you've kindly offered and, and given your presence to us. By believing in Jesus, you've come to dwell in us by your Holy Spirit. And so we pray that as individuals and as a church family that you would guide us, that you would help us and that you would lead us in the days that lie ahead. Help us, we pray, to be faithful followers of the Lord Jesus and guide us in doing so by your Holy Spirit. And we pray for those who haven't yet taken their part in your story, in the, in the plan of redemption. We pray for those who haven't trusted in the Lord Jesus. We ask that they might come to know him even today, that by your spirit you, you would be working to bring them to yourself, to bring them to confessing their sin, and to bring them to trusting in Christ. And we pray these things in his precious name. Amen.